Please stay standing for the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to continue in our survey of Paul's Thanksgiving letters. Uh, there are lots of those Thanksgivings to choose from in Paul's letters. Uh, but for today, we're going to focus on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. I'll invite you to just take a deep breath where you are. Feel your feet on the ground, firmly planted on the ground, and be reminded that this is God's word for us this morning. Paul writes, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that has a name. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Um, I do hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. Uh, and here's the good news. We get to sit in Thanksgiving for, uh, in that posture for a little bit longer this year. Typically, the Sunday after Thanksgiving is the beginning of the season of Advent. So we are hustling between Thursday and Sunday to get all the greenery up and, the, and uh, decorations. But not this year. Uh, we, we get an extra Sunday to contemplate all that we have to be thankful for and what we do with that Thanksgiving. And that's a reason for thanks anyways, because it's a good thing for us to not jump too quickly from this important holiday. It's actually a really healthy move for us to remain here in a posture of gratitude. Yes, Lars has some health tips for you today. Here's what I've learned. Two decades ago, Dr. Robert Emmons sought to understand how people might benefit from gratitude. What might the benefits, benefits be of gratitude? Uh, this is something that scientists really hadn't studied uh, seriously before. What resulted was a landmark study that suggested that there are vast psychological and physical benefits to practicing gratitude in your life. Reaching to our relationships with other people, our outlook on life, and even our physical wellness is affected positively by gratitude. Dr. Emmons said, quote, that gratitude heals, it energizes, and changes lives. It's the prism through which we view life in terms of gifts, givers, goodness, and grace, end quote. This study changed the way that psychologists and physicians cared for their patients. I know we have a number of psychologists and, and doctors here today, but I know that it's been a, a trend to encourage people to count their blessings, to do things like gratitude journals. Those are fairly well-established wellness practices now for many people. And, and the results suggested that these kinds of 
activities, these kinds of disciplines, provide tons of mental and physical health benefits, reducing symptoms of depression and anxiety, leading to deeper sleep, increasing self-esteem, improving satisfaction with daily life, all for just being grateful. Now, I have to be honest, as I was reading this, most of that didn't seem all that radical to me, if you think about it, right? Because to me, gratitude has to be good for us, right? Certainly when I'm mindful of my blessings, the things that I'm grateful for, the things I'm thankful for, I'm happier. I'm more content. It puts things in perspective. Um, That just makes sense to me. But there were a couple things in these studies that were kind of mind-blowing for me. The first is that Dr. Emmons defines gratitude as a positive emotion that we have when we acknowledge that we have goodness in our lives coming from another source. He says that gratitude isn't really gratitude if we don't realize the source of the goodness is, quote, at least partially outside of ourselves, end quote. Does that blow anybody else's mind? That a secular landmark study says that we can't create gratitude ourselves. And the narrative so often is everything good is inside of you, right? You just got to tap into it. This study says, no, actually gratitude has to come from outside of you. Not only that, but it appears that gratitude is not just for your benefit and your wellness. Emmons observes that not only does gratitude improve the well-being of the recipient, but it may also be good for those who even witness gratitude happening between two people. Watching an act of gratitude between two people can cause an observer to feel warmth and affinity towards them both, even if they are strangers. This is probably why Hallmark movies work so well, right? Gratitude creates strong emotional bonds between people. And Emmons calls gratitude a, quote, seemingly endless resource. The more that it is used, the stronger it gets, and it does not get depleted by repeated use or transaction, end quote. So that was a big, long intro. What does this mean? Uh, Gratitude is good for you. Hope you know that. Gratitude and thanksgiving are good for you. But gratitude can only be fostered and born within you from an outside source. You cannot create it wholly on your own. And that outside source must be pretty amazing because it never runs out. It's indefatigable. And it grows the more that it is shared. That's the wonder of gratitude. And I can't help but think of the story in the book of Exodus where the Israelites are wandering in the Sinai wilderness and they are complaining. They're grumbling. They are not at all grateful. They say to each other, you know what? This is so bad, we should just go back to Egypt. It would be better for us to return to the country that will surely enslave us again because at least then we have meat and we have bread and we would have a good meal instead of starving here in the desert. Grumbling, complaining. So God provides for them. He gives them something called manna. What exactly is manna? I have no idea. Um, But it is described as bread from heaven. I do not believe it's like loaves of bread falling from heaven. But probably pieces or or flakes of of some sort of bread, some sort of nourishment that would fall from the sky. and And it was sweet and it was nourishing. It tasted good and it filled them up. They could gather it. And then they could eat it. But if they tried to hoard beyond that day, if they tried to store it up, hoard it for themselves, it would spoil. Except 
for the sixth day where God would allow them to uh, go and gather in a double portion of manna so that they could rest on the Sabbath and somehow miraculously it doesn't spoil on the seventh day. Amazing efficiency stats for God here, right? He says, I'm going to give you everything that you need, but you can't hoard it. You can't store it up. Because if you hoard it, you might begin to believe that you yourself are creating it on your own and that it's yours, but it's not. It's mine. Likewise, it seems scientifically and otherwise that gratitude is not meant to be hoarded. It's something you're supposed to receive and enjoy and then apparently live out and pass on to other people so that they can have it. Um, how many of you around a Thanksgiving table had somebody uh, who had the you know, question for the table, what is every, what, what's something you're thankful for and everybody had to go around the table? That happened at your tables? A few of you? Okay, good. That happened at our table. If you did that, that's a great practice. But let me ask, what then do you do with that gratitude that you've named? So you've named what you're grateful for. Hopefully you can name today what you're grateful for. What do you do with that gratitude? What do you do with it? You're not meant to hoard it. You didn't create it. So what do you do with it? This is where Paul's Thanksgiving in his letter to Ephesus is very instructive for us. Uh, For me, it is such a thrill to, to dive into a text that I've read hundreds of different times, but to do it on a certain week, Uh, at a certain time in my life where it feels totally fresh and new, which is exactly what happened for me this week. So I'm excited about this. Uh, Let's dive into it. Ephesians uh, 1, starting at verse 15, he says, Paul says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Paul speaks his gratitude for this church, for their faith in action, For the love that they're showing to one another and to the world around them, they are a wonderful witness. Paul's filled up with with gratitude as he thinks about them. Uh, He has a positive emotion that is coming from the lives of the Ephesians that he is writing to. It's outside of him, right? This is the definition of gratitude. So he's he's so encouraged by the way that they are doing church, the way that they are living out their faith, and his heart is filled with gratitude. His thanksgiving is unceasing, and so he remembers them in his prayers. Stop there for a second. Because Paul is modeling something that social science has has apparently proven to be true. Gratitude is a great thing. It comes from somewhere outside of us, and it's not meant to be hoarded. He recognizes that the blessing has come from God and, and God's work through his Ephesian brothers and sisters. And he finds a channel for his gratitude. And what is it? I remember you in my prayers. I remember you in my prayers. Prayer for him becomes an outlet for all that gratitude that he's feeling inside of him. Ensuring that he is not hoarding it and just keeping it to himself, but he's channeling it in a positive direction. Have you considered prayer as an outlet in your life? Maybe you've thought of prayer as an outlet for anxiety or fear or anger a way to ensure that those negative emotions don't stay bottled up and become poisonous within us, right? But they can be released from us. That's positive. That's good. But have you thought about it as a gratitude outlet? Because it seems obvious to Paul as he's writing, he's like, well, of course you would channel gratitude into prayer. This is called 
intercessory prayer. That's what the church calls intercessory prayer. We often think of intercessory prayer as sort of this heavenward lobbing of prayer requests uh, to God for pleading to God for, for healing and intervention in other people's lives. It is that, but it's much more than that, too. When we intercede on behalf of other people, we are drawing upon that power which is outside of us. We're tapping into the infinite, self-renewing resource of God. Tyler Staten writes about this in his, his beautiful book, which you should all read. It's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. He says this, quote, When we engage in intercessory prayer, we are loving others on the basis of heaven's resources. Prayer is heaven's highest security clearance. Free access to stroll right into the heavenly vault, gather up whatever we can, hand it out to the world. We are rulers, calling the shots for how heavenly resources are distributed. And intercession is a way of saying, oh, we got to have something over here, or look, there's something missing over here. It is the distribution of God's resources in the familiar environments that comprise our disordered world, among coworkers and roommates and neighbors and strangers at bars, cafes, soup kitchens, and high-rises, housing projects, homeless shelters, and prisons. I love that idea. And when we pray for others, when we intercede for others, we're loving them on the basis of heaven's resources. So when we turn our gratitude into prayers, we are at the same time resisting the hoarding of good things, and we are extending the infinite resource of God's goodness to other people. In other words, we pass it on to others liberally and graciously, but we are still totally in possession of it. It simply multiplies. It's not depleted. This is the nature of God's heavenly resources. Now, I'm aware that we can be grateful for any number of things. Certainly it's good to name those, but in Paul's case here, he's focusing on people that he's grateful for, and that's what I want us to do this morning. Before we go into how Paul tells us to do this, um, let me ask, who are you thankful for in your life? Who does God put on your heart when you think about who you're thankful for? It could be those who are closest to you, a spouse, extended family, closest friends, a child. Maybe it's a boss or a colleague or an employee. Maybe it's somebody you barely know. Maybe it's the bagger at the grocery store or your mail carrier or, or, or the, the author that you've never met but their books have blessed you. I don't know. Whoever that is, let me ask, does your gratitude for them turn into prayer for them? Do you even know how to do that? Would you know where to begin to, to pray gratitude prayers for them? The good news is that Paul gives us a pretty awesome three-part model for praying for others in gratitude, uh, which I want to walk through. It starts in verse 17, where he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may perceive what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? Three things that Paul's, Paul prays for here. First, he prays that God might give the Ephesians wisdom through revelation so that these people might know him more and more. 
Paul's first prayer for these people that he's so grateful for is that they might know God. That they might know God in the person of Jesus and might know him more and more. Uh, In the words of of my teacher and, and friend, Klein Snodgrass, Paul deeply desires that they might know what a gift they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want them to be content where they are. He doesn't want them to coast. But he prays that they might go deeper. They might become more aware of God's character and the Spirit's movement among them and become more fascinated with God and his work among them. What a beautiful model for our prayers for other people too. When we feel grateful for someone, we should channel that into a prayer that God would reveal himself to them in such a way that they would know him more and more. When you pray for your child or or a parent or, or your friend or your teacher or the stranger that you just met, pray first that they might know God more and more. This is the most crucial prayer that we can start with for other people. I absolutely love the idea that if I came to any of your minds, that the first thing that you would pray for for me is that God would reveal himself to me in such a way that I might become more fascinated today with him than I was yesterday. That I might more deeply desire to know him. That I might understand what a gift I have in the gospel. That, that I might grasp that's the, the significance of the gospel for my life. You are welcome to pray that for me anytime you think of it. Everyone needs this prayer prayed over them. Everyone has a proclivity towards darkness, which needs enlightening. There's been incredible advance in knowledge in the 20th and 21st centuries, but I'm still amazed that we still don't have the human ability to grasp the magnificence of God or the enormity of his work, no matter what we do. We are darkened in our understanding, and that's why Paul prays that the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts would be enlightened, that they would ever be learning about God and Christ. And we can echo Paul's prayer for the people in our lives. We're asking that God would enlighten them, that they would know him more and more. So that's the first thing. The second thing that Paul prays for, he prays that they might put their hope in the right place. Do you see that in the text? That they might put their hope in the right place. Hope is a a rare commodity today. The problems that we see in the world often feel hopeless to us. How can we have hope to solve the crime in Chicago or the migrant crisis or racism or poverty or, or, or wars in Ukraine or Gaza or AI taking over our lives or any of the other powers that, that threaten to undo us? Where's the hope? This is part of why we have a plummeting birth rate in the Western world. People simply don't have a positive outlook on the world and they aren't sure whether they want to bring a child into that world. There's little hope for the future. By the way, it was really no different in the first century. In fact, fate, determinism, and despair are all over first century literature. It's almost oppressive. Um, There's a quote from Epicurus that captures this well. Uh, He said as a maxim for his life, this was like his slogan for his life, I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. This quote became a common epitaph, which you can see on a first century gravestone. This was something that people were electing to put on their gravestones as this is the sum of my life. I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. You live, you die, who cares? Contrast this 
with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians because he points to God's power to bring life from death, to bring hope from hopelessness. Instead of the meaninglessness of life, Paul states that there is a glorious future, that the resurrection of Jesus begat a new kind of hope, one that goes beyond our mere living and dying. In fact, those who follow Jesus don't just wander into a hopeless future hoping everything's going to be okay. They actually live from that future because Jesus Christ has already laid out that future for us. When we have no real hope, we slowly perish. We just wither. But when we have our hope set in the right place, we steadily flourish. This is what Paul prays for. And I think if we're truly grateful for the people that God has put on our heart, we should likewise pray that their hope would be in the right place that it would be realized and sustained, that they would live from the future rather than for themselves today. Third thing that Paul prays for is he prayed that that they might know God's power in their life. He didn't want these Ephesians to have just a mild encounter with God. He wanted to see powerful movements of the Spirit among them. He wanted them to experience God's power in a way that they were engaged with the world around them. He wanted them to recognize God's powerful work in their own lives. And much like gratitude, this power is not something that we can generate within ourselves. It's outside of us. It's given to us as a gift for being in relationship with a powerful God. So it's good for us, too, to pray for God's power to be made known to those that we care about. I mean, who wouldn't want a loved one to have a powerful encounter with God? Or for God to move powerfully in their lives. Or for God to use their gifts in a powerful way. And notice that this is not some sort of new power that Paul is speaking about. He couples the powerful work of God with the resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse 20, God put this power, that very power, which we're praying for, to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above any ruler and authority, power, dominion above every name that's named. Not only in this age, but the age to come. Paul's doing some thrilling theology and logic here. Because no other power can rival the resurrection power of Jesus. And because Jesus is the fullness of God, Christians don't have to look elsewhere for what they need in life. They just need Jesus. And Jesus gives them this power through relationship with him. So in summary, friends, Paul prays for these Ephesians. He prays for their depth of knowledge of Jesus, for their hope to be in Jesus, for an experience of the resurrection power of Jesus. Let me ask again, who are you thankful for? Who has God put on your heart? Okay. If you're grateful for that person, what's the channel for that gratitude? Are you just hoarding it? Because that's not good, apparently. Do you just ring them up and say, hey, I just want to tell you I'm thankful for you? That's a great thing to do, but there's a better channel. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that they might know Jesus, that they might hope in Jesus, that they might experience the resurrection power of Jesus. That is a way to truly love them to serve them, to show your gratitude for them. You've experienced gratitude and the benefits that it brings. It's not meant to be kept, hoarded. 
why not pass on that infinite resource to others through prayer? And to do so is to live out these beautiful words of Paul. And in the process, we might just learn what deep, purposeful gratitude really is. In a moment, I'm going to give us an opportunity to do just that, to pray for these people that God has put on our hearts. Uh, I've had an opportunity to put this into practice this week. Uh, one of the people that I'm most thankful for perpetually in my life is my own mom, an amazing woman, Judy, incredible lady, a uh, woman of deep, deep prayer. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be here today uh, and, and who I am, not, not a chance without her. Um, some of you know her, a, a great encourager. What you probably don't know is that every single Sunday morning, sometime in the 6 o'clock hour when I'm, I'm opening up things here at church and getting ready for the morning, I get a text from my mom, whether I'm preaching or not, with a prayer for me for the day, no matter where she is, no matter what she's doing. How cool is that, right? How cool is that? Um, and I'm so grateful for her. She was able to be here this week uh, with us for Thanksgiving, which was just great, but uh, I've had to put this prayer into Thanksgiving in a way I didn't really expect because yesterday she was out at the mall and she took a spill and she broke her hip. Um, she's in the hospital this morning. She's waiting for a surgeon. She's doing okay. She's, uh, she's, she's in good spirits, just not moving really at all. So I had a, last night I, I read my sermon again. I always read it on Saturday night to make sure I still like it. Um, and as I'm reading it, I'm going, okay, I'm obviously praying for my mom in the situation that she's in, right? And if I wasn't engaging with this text and I wasn't engaging with Paul's word, I think my prayer would have been something like, I pray for my mom's healing, that she would have the right surgeon, that she'd be able to get into surgery soon, that she would be comforted, that, that the pain would go away, that the recovery would go well, that she wouldn't be scared, right? And those are all wonderful, beautiful intercessory prayers to pray for somebody. But I had to actually go to Paul's model and tell me if this sounds like an even deeper prayer prayer that's mindful of all the gratitude I have. I prayed for my mom that she would have a deep knowledge of Jesus. That in her hospital bed, somehow, in this really frustrating situation where she's in pain, she's embarrassed, she's sad, she feels like she's missing out on things, she feels like she ruined Thanksgiving, all this kind of stuff. I pray that in that situation, she might come to a knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is that she would not have had if she, was, if she hadn't tripped and fell. That she would know Jesus more and more through this experience. And then I prayed that her hope might be in Jesus. That she wouldn't become hopeless about the situation, about her recovery, about falling again, about where her, where, where her health is going to take her from here. Instead, that her hope would be in the right place, which is in Jesus. And then I pray that she would have an experience of the resurrection power of Jesus, that she would know his power, either through her, her full healing, which we certainly pray for, but that God would reveal himself in powerful ways, maybe through a nurse, maybe through a, a, a doctor, maybe through uh, the kindness of other people in a way that she really feels the powerful presence of God. Do you see how that's a deeper prayer? Do you see how that's a prayer that's rooted in gratitude. So I want to give you an opportunity to pray for the person that God has put on your heart. I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads with me. I'm going to direct us just a little bit, but I, I invite you to think of who that might be. 
who God has put on your heart this morning. I want you to be aware of the gratitude you have for this person. And first, would you just pray in your own words, in the silence of your own heart, would you pray that they might know Jesus more and more in their lives? Would you take a moment to pray that their hope might be put in the right direction, that their hope might be in Jesus? And would you pray that they have an experience an encounter with the power of God where they are. Lord, we thank you that you hear these prayers and would you call us to continue to pray for these people that you've put on our hearts and on our minds? Might we intercede for them from the storehouse of your mercy, your heavenly resource. Would you teach us what it means for our gratitude to be channeled deeper and deeper and deeper into prayer? And Lord, we ask that you would continue to bring people to our hearts and our minds that surprise us. Do it in our dreams or in our daydreams through encounters with others. We pray that you would call your people to prayer. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord. Would you teach us what it means to channel that gratitude into prayer to you, we pray in your name. Amen. One last encouragement. You prayed for that person. You took time to do that today. Uh, a great follow-up with them would be to text them, write a note, call them and say, hey, I just wanted to know, I wanted you to know I prayed for you today out of gratitude for who you are in my life. And if you have the kind of relationship with them where you could share some of the stuff that you prayed for, uh, that threefold prayer with them, if that would be a great encouragement with them, share that with them as well. Because as we do so, we pass on the gratitude that has been given to us and we give it to others out of God's infinite resource. May it be so us. Amen. Why don't we stand as we close and worship together? <laughs>